Welcome back, everybody, to episode two of It's Only Life. Here we're doing an interview of a local business owner, Daniel Phillips, with Moonjoy Meadery. Daniel, how are you doing today? Hey, man. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem, no problem. Thank you for having us. Thank you for doing this interview. Jay, how you doing? I'm doing good. Glad to be off work. Glad to be off work? Yes, sir. Me too. Me too. Me three. <laughs> you didn't go to work today. I know I didn't. <laughs> Oh man, so how's your day been? It's been pretty good. We've been doing a lot of uh, just construction and remodeling over at the new building we just bought. Uh, so we're gonna be moving our business into that new location here within the next, hopefully the latest by June 1st. That is awesome, that is good news, good news. So uh, on our last podcast, uh, we gave you a shout out of your business. And today we are going a little more in depth of your business. So let us let me first ask you, what is your business? Uh, so we're a meadery, and we make honey wine. So we take honey, spring water, and different kinds of yeast, and make a fermented honey wine, or variations of that where we add fruit juice or whole fruits, spices, uh, pretty much everything pairs with honey. So I've done some crazy combinations of like coconut, prune, nutmeg, and pineapple. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, we had that one for like a couple years and decided to just pursue other flavors. Uh, I'm constantly making different things. I think I'm up to 60 different recipes right now. So, you said 60? 60. 60. Wow. 60 recipes. Yeah, 60 wow. recipes uh, that we have submitted to the TTB. That's the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Tax Bureau. They approve all of our recipes and make sure that the ingredients are like safe to use for beverages. And then after that, we brew the mead and uh, submit our label to a different. Uh, governing agency and they like make sure the label is true that we're not you know stating anything that's untrue or false uh, and then after all these checks are done then we get a bottle out on the shelf okay okay yeah I, I like to ask a question uh, I'm sure some people would like to know what got you started in all this like what piqued your interest so my mother-in-law Margaret Landers She's been making mead for 12, 13 years now. Uh, she always wanted to make her own beverage that she could drink whenever she wanted that would keep a long time because she doesn't drink very often. Mm -hmm. And it would be free of preservatives and any Absolutely. chemical agents or anything like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you know what goes in, you know, it, you're, it's a safe you know, you control everything when you're brewing it. That is actually, yeah, under, under your control. Yeah. Has to go into the store and buy so, whatever they... Yeah, so this, uh, the meadery was her idea, and I wanted to get out of what I was doing, and so did my wife, and we both quit our jobs and jumped on the meadery train, and we've been doing this strong uh, just over two years now. Wow. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I was going to say, I know... Uh, a lot of business stuff that I've seen, they normally don't make it past the first six to eight months. But you guys have been uh, going for two years strong now. 
Okay. Yeah, it took two years to get to opening day from, you know, sitting around the table saying, we're going to start a meadery together. And two years later, we have opening day. Uh, some of that was from the original town we lived in. There wasn't very much love for a new business to open. And so we jumped through some hoops and, found a location that was and perfect. waited a year, you know, yeah. and, and nothing happened. So we came to Lenore, where we are now, and uh, the city was very accepting of new businesses. They wanted to help us any way they could, and we were approved in literally five minutes to open here uh, from the city. Uh, we still had to go through ABC and the federal government to get all our permits and stuff like that, which took eight months. Uh, just for the permitting process and during that whole time you're not allowed to brew or do anything until you get your permits brew so you and and, uh, and the likes of all this while you were waiting uh you had already had stuff brewed that you basically had to sit in there just waiting for you to get the okay uh no legally we we can't brew until you get the permit so what we did is we home brewed and tested recipes at home, small batches, like five gallons at a time yeah. for personal use. We'd give it out to family and friends and just, you know, give us an honest review on this recipe. You know, what does it taste like? Uh, and because it did take so long to get to opening day, uh, we tested a lot of recipes and a lot of recipes that Margaret had made over the years as a home brewer before this, we tested. Um, so we, we did a lot of R&D in small batches before we got to like brewing commercially. Okay. So from the time you got your permit, you said it took up to eight months from the time you got approved in Lenore. So from that eight month standpoint, whenever you got approved a homebrew or not approved homebrew, but approved to brew commercially, how much longer did you have to wait in order to actually have stuff to sell? Four months. Um, there's a lot of ways to make mead faster, uh, but because of the, we believe in a little bit more traditional old, old and slow method, and we piece together all the equipment in the meadery in the beginning from uh, different homebrew stores, estate sales, just different places, you know, trying to save a buck. And so we had basically a commercial meadery with homebrew equipment in it. Um, a small little space, you know, low overhead, and we just brewed our asses off in five gallon and six gallon batches until we could afford to start upgrading the tanks, you know, and now I have, uh, you know, I started maybe with like 70 gallons worth of brewing capacity and we're at like almost 1800. That's a lot. At the new spot. That is a lot. Um, so like just in two years, you know, just under our own, no loans, no borrowing money from a family or friend, you know, mm -hmm. up until, uh, you know, like we just borrowed money for to purchase a new building. But now that we've proven our business is successful and is viable, mm -hmm. uh, the banks are willing to talk to us. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, so I want to backtrack for just one second. Um, for some people at home and some people who may be listening to this podcast, uh, what kind of information can you give them based on the, the laws and the restrictions on uh, the brewing and, the, and the, the marketing without a proper license or, you know? So you can homebrew in North Carolina 200 gallons of wine, uh, mead or cider. Uh, I'm not sure about beer, 
But you can get do two hundred gallons will last you all yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, that'll last you a pretty good uh, bit, especially if it's personal. So it's, yeah. it's for your family. So every household is allowed to brew two hundred gallons of alcohol, wine or mead in this case, uh, in North Carolina. Mm. And so you can do that however you like. You know, there's a lot of ways to and brew. So certain limitations and restrictions are based on like state to state. So yeah, you so just have to check. So, with yeah, you got to check check your local homebrew laws. Um, you know, you, but here it's, it's pretty, pretty nice. You know, 200 gallons will definitely take care of the family for the year. Um, and mead's really simple to make. I teach a homebrew class here. So you offer classes? Yeah, so for a hundred bucks, you can come in and we'll spend uh, two hours together and we'll make a completely custom mead together in my class and I'll teach you all the basics and give you all the basic equipment uh, to go home and keep on brewing. So they get to take their own equipment home and then use what they've experienced with you here in class. Yeah, so we make a gallon of mead here in class together and they take it home and do all the, the rest of the work with it. And all right. after that, they've got equipment that they can keep on making more mead you know i tell people all the time like go to your local farmer's market walk around grab some honey grab some fresh fruit from a fruit stall you know and go home chop it up throw it all in the fermenter together and it'll be amazing okay well uh, i'm sure don has a few more questions so i'm gonna i'm gonna pass it back over to you don thank you jay thank you thank you thank you buddy well i've seen it says uh on your website, you know, you're a, you're a veteran-owned and a woman-owned business. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so my mother-in-law is one of the owners. Uh, her and I started it together as a 50-50, uh, and I'm a combat veteran. I served in the Army for seven years with the 173rd Airborne, the 82nd Airborne. And uh, so we started this together, uh, just me and her in the beginning. And like I said, we just threw, if we had couple extra dollars left over on a paycheck we put it towards the metery and you know that way we weren't in debt to anyone when we opened and yeah it's been great working with her she's created some amazing recipes like our best in show gold medal dark horse she created that's the same uh, makes the dream work yeah and i've come out with a few winners of my own and we just like play off each other she's a really amazing woman not only is she a mead maker she's a tattoo artist an author painter like the list goes on she's an amazing human being talented yeah oh wow okay. very artistic person okay. so i do have a question here uh about your business uh what are some of the biggest challenges that you face when starting your business and how did you overcome them? Uh, the biggest challenge for starting a small business for anyone is discovering all the people that have kind of a finger in your pie that you didn't know about, right? It's the sit, you know, maybe the regulation or the health, you know, depending on what kind of business you have, you're going to have some kind of inspector or somebody uh, you're going to have insurance requirements that are going to cost more than you anticipate especially as time goes on they're just going to go up uh you know rent prices go up over time and like all of our the cost of bottles the cost of honey the cost of fruit goes up every year so uh in the beginning you know and and still right now we pay ourselves a really low salary uh you know just for like gas and groceries and 
because it's all about the longevity of the business. Keeping the business and, stable. Yeah, keeping the business profitable. Uh, we know that sacrificing right now is going to lead to long-term success. And that's, that's really where it's at. It's like 10 years from now where we're taking cruises twice a year or something, you know, or whatever, going on vacation to Europe for a month. It's because we're sacrificing right now, you know, and we're going to pay off later. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess uh, anytime uh, someone sacrifices stuff, I guess there's always a greater good at the end, right? Well, it's it's the the law of the universe. You can't take something without giving something. It's uh, it's a universal law. And and my, I'm only 38 years old, so I know I don't have like tons and tons of life experience. But this one true rule that I've noticed and the way life works is if you want something, you're gonna have to give something up for that thing. And that doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing either. You know, maybe you give up a bad habit. Maybe you give up, you know, an old job that didn't serve you to work harder at your own business. That's more rewarding long-term, you know, like sacrificing something is never negative. It doesn't have to be. All right, all right. Jay, you have anything you want to add to that one? Well, I mean, I can say that uh, it is true. You know, you get what you put out. Absolutely. And uh, as far as you've come, obviously, it looks like you're, you're beginning to be real successful. And um, uh, well, I just I have another question, you know, um, how do you have any advice or anything that you could give to people who are trying to promote their own businesses or staying competitive? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, TikTok is the number one used app right now. Social media, social media. Uh, you you got to stay with the people, you know, where they're at, they're on their phones. So you have to go to their phones through them or some type of uh, advertising, like we billboards mm. seem to work uh, for us here. Like people are driving yeah, up and down, you know, around here. And thankfully they're not looking at their phone. They're looking up at the road and there's billboard. Boom. There's my business. Uh, but we do a lot of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok advertising. Uh, and it's all free, uh, but the sacrifice is our time to create the content Absolutely. to post. Uh, so there's always a cost, like I mm. said, but it, in this case, it's not monetary. Uh, you know, Facebook or whatever always tries to throw you like, you know, promote this for 20 bucks or whatever, and we'll give you six new viewers. And like six viewers, get out of here. And you're better off uh, on your yeah, own, right? Just keep doing it. Make sure you're using your hashtags. Stick uh, to make it. Make sure you're using like popular songs on TikTok mm. uh, that get a lot of views. Uh, just the social media thing is a constant. You have to post every day to be successful at it. Uh, you don't have to create something super long, but you do need to continually post a picture or a very short video every day just to keep refreshing people's memory that you exist, your business exists. And eventually they're going to click on that link and they're going to buy from your website and order a bottle or order whatever it is that you make or listen to your podcast. In this case, you know, it's repetition uh, wins. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You notice that a lot in, in the world nowadays. People who tend to repetitively stick to their, their plan and their goals, you know, a lot of times succeed in the end. You know, it's those who give up on, you know, their idea of what they want and stuff that tend to fall back. And, you know, um, I have one more question before I give it back to Don. 
how how do you manage to balance your personal life from your work life and is it possible in 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 building and creating your own business that's actually a really good question Jim. thank you absolutely uh so my wife and i work together in the meadery uh, she does front of house i do back to house and we collaborate and talk all mm. the time about what we're doing uh, sharing ideas working together uh, trading off shifts you know in the meadery serving tables like maybe she'll work the first part of the day and i'll work the second part of the day and close uh, it's all about just stepping up wherever your partner needs you mm. if you're in a relationship working together at the same business, uh, you know, like we'll trade off or I had to dip out for a second and go pick up my kid from school and come back <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like you have to be very fluid. Mm. Um, and like having a, a real like full day off together yeah. is, is difficult, but we do try to make everything count you know like eating dinner together mm. no phones at the table personal stuff you know, like too. after nine you know like you know put your phone aside or no work after nine or something like that you mm. know like because social media people can access you 24 7 absolutely and so they can just send your business page questions constantly and like this and that and it's especially as a new business owner you really want to be like on it right and so you're yeah. just up at 10 o'clock at night answering questions on social media <laughs> that aren't even important absolutely you know just but to you stay, feel like they're just, important just to make sure that business. they they and know that you're communicating they'll still be them. there when you you know clock back in at like 10 a.m the next day or whenever it is that you do like we also make sure in the mornings mm. uh that we spend the mornings together like we go to the gym together and come back and then we start the work day i usually start more uh earlier in the day because mm. of the bottling and all the stuff we got to do in the back. And then she comes in when the tasting room's open and does her own work. So we're uh, going around your shifts and yeah, but we we're constantly like communication's big. Absolutely. Um, That's a lot of issues in the world today. Yeah. Well, just running a business in general, you know, you got to have a really strong communication with management staff and, mm. and like owners, uh, depending on your structure, you know, we just incorporated, uh, so we went from just my mother-in-law owning the whole business mm -hmm. to all my mother-in-law, me, my wife, and my brother-in-law all as owners. So it's a so partnership, it's a family owners. partnership. Yeah, so the whole Absolutely. family is owners now. Mm -hmm. We're a corporation. We all get W-2s from the business. Uh, and we're just, you know, teamwork makes the dream work, like you said earlier. Absolutely. All right, Don. Well, that's always good to hear about uh, having clear boundaries and lines between work and home, so especially with your uh, your spouse. Um. So, what does what does your your wife say about the business? How does how does she feel about it? She feels really strongly about Moonjoy Meadery and its future and what it can do, not just for us personally as as owners and family and taking care of the family and the family's future um you know now you know my mother-in-law who i talked about can retire you know she's 60 16 years old right now uh, so it's time for her to enjoy all the things she loves to do writing painting you know she doesn't need to work anymore uh we she's built this and we've taken it and just run with it and now it's uh giving back to us um you know, like, the, like I said, I worked the whole first year before 
uh, you know, we got completely open and going like pretty much for free. There's no paycheck there, you know. And the business did open in October 2020, and we didn't start drawing a paycheck from the place till uh, 2021 in like February. Oh wow! Uh, so like, you you're gonna have to tighten the belt, you know what I mean, and get real if you want to reach the mountaintop, you know, like you're gonna have to drop some weight and go. Um, but, uh, you know, we, like I said, we communicate a lot as family and we get a lot of stuff done, just the four of us. Plus we have a great uh, employee that works for us now. We have another salesman that we hired. Um, so we're starting to, you know, grow a little bit outside of our family unit and start, you know, bringing more locals in and start like providing jobs for the community, which we're really excited about because that's the long-term goal is like our employees are doing all the same thing we're doing, you know, pretty much except for like higher level paperwork stuff. And so they're helping us achieve our own dreams and goals. So we want to take them with us up the mountain. Okay. You know, like it's, it's not like they're going to be future owners or anything, but like they should be compensated for giving us their time, you know, like a, a labor job where you, you're literally trading your life away for a paycheck. And like, if you're not, you know, I've done, I've worked so many freaking jobs, like warehouse work, janitorial work, martial arts instructor, military, you know, like now I'm a business owner, I've done farm work. Uh, and the bottom line is if you're not the owner, you're trading your life away as a commodity to get another commodity to buy other commodities. So you better be, you only get one shot at this. So better enjoy what you're doing. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you said, uh, about your employees. Cause that has me, uh, it, it has me thinking of another question I'm going to ask you, uh, how do you manage and motivate your employees here at Moonjoy Meadery? Um, so thankfully we've been blessed with good employees who, understand the like the goal of Moonjoy Meadery, uh, which you know is to provide this awesome place for the community to come to and drink mead. But all, this has been a more than a business, it's been a, a whole social thing too in our community. We've been involved in our town now, its development, like where it's going. Uh, we're, I've lived all over the world and I've never cared what the town was doing. You know what I mean? Like now that we're business owners and now property owners in the town, we're taking an active role in the community and it's planning and festivals and where it's going. And uh, Lenore is like a really amazing place, uh, really amazing people where all this stuff is happening and the whole town is like teaming up basically to make it a better, better place. Lenore is where exactly? I just I just want to let some of the people who are listening to the podcast know. It's Lenore, North Carolina. Lenore, North Carolina. I will tell you this. Uh, coming from uh, Gadsden, Alabama, when I first moved up here to North Carolina, I, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know the town, didn't know nothing. Uh, but I can honestly say, though, now that I've been here for a couple of years and I've gotten around, 
Lenore is probably one of the best towns that I've seen here in North Carolina, and I love the fact that it's growing. And so, because small businesses like yours, it's what makes the town boom. We, uh, yeah, so we've met people here that have moved from California, uh, other parts of America, even within North Carolina, people are flocking to the foothills here, the mountains, uh, and Lenore specifically. It's and beautiful. It's growing. Uh, we have the Blue Ridge Parkway. We have waterfalls at every single hiking destination within an hour drive up here. We have some amazing uh, orchards, fruit growers. We have a gigantic blackberry farm outside town. We have an amazing sculpture center. Uh, that's, we have more sculptures and artwork in town per capita than other towns in America. Um, like we have, we just won a couple of awards uh, and we've got some grants for the city. So there's going to be a lot of changes over town in the next 10 years with uh, all kinds of programs and farmers markets and community events that are about to happen. Uh, Lenore is a really great place to start out because this place is about to explode uh, as a small business owner you know we got in at the right time just before everything started rising and we plan on riding this wave all the way in all right heck yeah that's what i'm talking about right there oh yeah um jay you want to uh you want to say anything before we uh, take a break i would just like to mention that though for the amount of times that I've been coming here, the setting is wonderful. Uh, great customer service. Um, shout out to the the bartender. Um, she's a wonderful Natalie. person. <laughs> uh, amazing place. And I would recommend anybody who would want uh, to try out a new place, maybe even try something different. The, the meat here is amazing. So I would even probably put it out that it's better than some of the best wines that I've ever tried, some of the most expensive wines. Uh, it's very few that I've tried, but you know, cause it is expensive nowadays. Um, but, uh, you, I would, one thing I want to say of all things that, um, just like you were talking about earlier, uh, y'all were talking about the employees and how you, you know, you uh, like to compensate for their time. That no time's wasted, you know, and this is about it's only life, you know, and and I feel like in a person's life, there's a lot of time that's wasted for lots of people because there are those who do not care. And it's good to know that there are business owners and people out there that do care about the people that work for them, you know, and spend their time, you know, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I'm sure it's always good to feel like you're not just another another number on the payroll docket for sure. Well, Absolutely. Nowadays, it's, uh employees can decide like or you could not you could start your own business like we did or be a crafter on etsy or uh you know invest in bitcoin or whatever like the the possibilities of making money are endless now Absolutely. so like if someone wants to come and work for me it you know you should make it worth their time to come in and do it uh because they could literally do anything else um it, so people that want to work for you, choose to work for you, it's amazing feeling and like uh, we like I said, we've been very blessed with great employees. Uh, we have my brother in law and another guy that work with me in the back. We bottle and brew and, and do all the back of house mead stuff and then my wife 
and Natalie handle the front and do most of the serving and uh, just, you know, sales stuff like that, front of housework. And, you know, there's always some crossover, but I think all of us together make a great team, especially at like festivals and stuff like that. We're just like helping each other out. All right. Well, it's wonderful to hear. And uh, before we uh, cut the break, I wanted to remind everybody that uh, check us out on Spotify. We also have a Facebook page, if you and don't know. Podcast. And Apple Podcast we just recently got. Yeah. And uh, you can also find us at OnlyLifePodcast.com. And we have all our links to include our social and streaming platforms available to choose from. Yes, sir. All right. Daniel, you want to add anything for a break? Uh, no. All righty. We'll be back momentarily. Today's small business shout out goes to Nightingale Curiosities. Nightingale Curiosity is an oddities business in Western North Carolina that specializes in creating beautiful and unique items from the often forgotten animals and insects that have crossed over. They take care to properly clean and sanitize an array of scavenged animal bone from roadways, forests, and creek beds in our local area to bring something truly one-of-a-kind to their customers. Be sure to browse their various social media pages to see the treasures they find on their scavenging trips. Cleaning and preserving remains can be a somewhat nasty business, but they love what they do and they take pride in each piece that's crafted with care. Nightingale Curiosity also offers classes that empowers individuals with the knowledge to make their own home apothecaries, specially designed to each person's needs or wants. You'll learn how to find and identify ingredients found in the beautiful Appalachian Mountains, as well as discover the magic in each item holds. Individuals will be guided on how to make tinctures, salves, and infusions and more. Be sure to reach out and sign up for available spots to attend their foraging trips to get the most out of what they have to offer. You can be sure to follow them on Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest, and Instagram at Nightingale Curiosities. You can also hit up their e- their email at nightingalecuriosities at gmail.com. Or you can call her by phone at 252-698-8333. Be sure to check the link in the show notes. I'll be sure to link our Facebook for you guys. Are you curious? Be more curious. Business subject here, and let's get back into life. Okay. And it's so, only life. It's good. only life. It's only life. All right. So... You're a veteran. I know you said uh, to me before that you were stationed in Italy. What are some stories you have from there? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is going to um, be good. This is going to be good. Goodness. So I joined the Army when I was 21 and uh, had my 22nd birthday in basic training, which obviously I told no one about. Uh, your birthday in the military is above top secret clearance it is a closely guarded secret um, because on your birthday you can get pink bellied or other fun surprises uh, 
If you don't know what pink bellied is, it's where you get held down and they lift your shirt up and a bunch of guys slap you in the stomach <laughs> over and over again until your stomach is pink. Pink belly. Uh, oh, I see. I get it. I understand. Yeah. It's all, you know, camaraderie and, and brotherly love and, and uh, good old-fashioned hazing like, there. But sounds, uh, like me, sounds like me and my younger siblings. I uh, have, like, four younger brothers. It's getting messy. Yeah, but after, uh, when I graduated airborne school, I got orders to go to Italy, which is uh, very lucky, you know, to go to such a, an amazing spot as your first duty station in the military. Uh, so I got stationed in uh, Vincenza, Italy, and I was 22 years old and living there on the government's dime. So I spent my entire paychecks out on the town every weekend eating amazing food, uh, a lot of alcohol, a lot of strip clubs, a lot of more food, you know, traveling around Italy. Uh, we went to Austria, we went to Germany. Um, we unfortunately went to Afghanistan and Kuwait, <laughs> um, but the, the times in Italy were really amazing. Uh, great culture. They have such a rich history, amazing food, uh, great wine. <clears throat> you know, uh, if you're respectful and dress nice and, you know, kind of mind your P's and Q's, they're very friendly people, uh, but they don't tolerate sloppily dressed or disrespectful people, people that are you know, exorbitantly loud or, you know, get trash and just trash their town as a tourist, you know. But if, if you come with respect, people in, in foreign countries uh, are usually really friendly and really helpful. Uh, like I was born in the Dominican Republic in San Domingo. Mm. Uh, my parents were missionaries there. So I've been all over the place. Uh, I got, when I was stationed at Fort Bragg, I got shipped to Haiti after the big earthquake in 2010 and was there for a couple months helping out with relief efforts. Uh, so I've been kind of all over the place. Uh, and most of the time, you know, even in Afghanistan, uh, a lot of the people were really friendly, really nice. Uh, you know, it's just those religious zealots out in the mountains that were causing problems with their AK-47s and RPGs. And, uh, but you know, most of the time, if you go anywhere in the world, uh, which I suggest people do, travel is an important part of life and getting to be a well-rounded human being, in my opinion, uh, just go out and meet some people, you know, drink some chai tea, go drink some whatever, you know, uh, drink some absinthe and wake up the next day and wish you hadn't, you know, <laughs> do something, you know, like get off your couch. I got a feeling you've done that a time or two. Uh, absinthe <laughs> is rough, and I will never do that again. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on now. Can't be that bad. It's uh, so traditional absinthe is a mix of like 13 different herbs, and uh, it's it's a weird alcohol. Best way to describe it. Like different alcohols different have different effects. Like mead is a really happy alcohol, you know, and it gives you kind of a joyous, happy buzz. Uh, you know, beer is kind of similar and, and wine, you know, is, is pretty nice. And, but the next day, you know, wine really dries you out because all the sulfites in it and you have this horrendous hangover. Uh, but liquors, you know, they all have different spirits to them. 
but AdSynth, AdSynth is, is kind of a, is a, a rough customer. <laughs> I was going to say, I know uh, I might be quoting my history wrong here, but uh, I believe monks used to make AdSynth back in uh, yeah. ancient England or something like that. Uh, or... Southern France. Southern France. Yeah, so AdSynth originally hails from Southern France and has a wide variety of herbs in it from the region. Okay. I was going to say, I know the herbs give the, the green color from the chloroform or chlor chlor chlorophyll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once that the alcohol will pull that out of the plant material, give it that green tint. All right. Now, I have heard uh, absinthe can sometimes make you hallucinate. I did not experience any hallucinations. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, good old fashioned alcohol buzz. Okay. Um, thankfully, you know, being in a foreign country where you don't speak the language, uh, even as nice as people are, there's a lot of things you do need to watch out for. And, uh, you know, as uh, American soldiers in a different country, you always have to watch out for, like, gangs and, and other things like that that want to, like, come at you. Um, a lot of gang rights involve killing a soldier as a rite of passage. Uh, so you just, you know, go out, have a great time, whatever. But, you know, watch your surroundings, where you're at. You know, don't put yourself in bad situations. That's a general life rule. Like, don't put yourself in bad situations, you know? Like, yeah, don't right? go as a general life rule, yeah. you know, coming as from someone who... So I was born here in North Carolina, but I, I spent most of my life in Florida. And I will say that Florida is well-known. It's, it's similar to California. It's obviously on opposite sides of the United States, but we do get a lot of, of tourists and also foreigners, you know, from all around the world. And because of that, along with that, everybody brings their, you know, um, where they're from, you know, so everybody has that to them. And so Florida is like a mixture of everywhere around the world, you know, kind of like California and New York and stuff. And so it's uh, it's just, it, it can be strange sometimes, you know, but it's also nice to know that there are people around the world nowadays who, you know, if you just have the simple morality that you can get along with anybody, you know. PSA, if you live in Florida, get the hell out. They got gators down there. I don't like Florida just for that one reason. No, there's nothing wrong with Florida. Like Except I said, gators. Like I said, if with good morality and a good, you know, person and person. And like sixteen foot pythons. If you know. It depends. As long you as you're not in the Florida, Everglades or out in the forest, you should be good. To me, that's all Florida is. There are beautiful cities, including St. Augustine. Filled with gators. Shout out to um, one of the world's largest um, equestrian centers. Uh, most beautiful place, yeah, I can I can say, in Florida, Central Florida, in Marion Florida. County. A place I did grow up and would like to interview one day. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you got any thoughts about Florida, Daniel? <laughs> Not really. I uh, went there once on vacation for like a week. Had a good time. Went home. You know, I've met plenty of Floridians. Um, all seem like, you know, nice people, despite what the news tells us. <laughs> you know, about Florida man and uh, what he's up to. We got our own right here beside us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to go wrestle some gators. Listen, I've swam with gators. It's not as bad as you think, okay? Pearls. Oh, I, I don't, I don't know, man. Birds like, chill on their back. I think I'd rather go 
Back to Afghanistan and some uh, gators or something. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'll take my chances in a foreign country with nothing. But I yeah. swear on my life, gators, you, I would say this, okay, coming from my own personal experience. Dude. I would rather swim with a gator than deal with a snake because a snake will slither Ooh. its way and snakes, snakes ain't shit. Look, Listen. gators and sharks have never evolved past what they are now for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. They're the ultimate predator. I was going to say, why do you need to change the apex <laughs> predator? That's already an apex they, predator. They maxed out their lifestyle. <laughs> explain to me, why do, why do turtles chill in their mouths? Alligators open their snouts for the turtles, to, and, and they cover them from the sun to give them shade. They also dip them in the water occasionally to uh, allow them to get wet. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but like I, this is a lot of things that I've learned going to like the Silver River Maybe Museum. Maybe they reptile talk. Well, but I'm not think saying about this, like okay, nature so, doesn't cooperate. Exactly. So, but we're not birds, part of birds, nature. We're birds, outside the system. Dude. Birds chill on their back, and I'm 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 a hundred percent sure that all, crocodiles, the closest relatives to alligators, over in the Nile, do the same thing. They, I, you know, absolutely. I will agree with you on everything you just said. That is nature's system. It, so, it is a closed circle, and we are not part of that al- circle. But, okay, so but we are separate from the natural system. Alligators Therefore, don't have a taste for human flesh. You know what I'm saying? They're not going that you know you. of. Yeah. Okay. So I say this: <laughs> catch, catch a big cro- uh, alligator or crocodile on a bad day, and he's hungry. Okay. Yeah. You just happen to be in his wake. You have a. If you don't, well, I'm not saying we aren't like meat bags. Shark. We're food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, on some level, in the the food chain we are food to something you know it goes like chicken pig cow people gator shark well i got a question gator shark i'm gonna put it like this so (laughs) you were in the military i grew up swimming and i'm obviously grew up with alligators i'm assuming methods i'm I'm assuming dawn being from alabama okay mountain (laughs) <laughs> they actually I'm pretty sure there's a documentary on A and E about Meth Mountain. Really? In Alabama, yes. In Alabama. Yes. That, that's generally Goodness. where that's the general area where I'm from. I see, okay, so do you have alligators? Uh closer you get to Florida. Okay. So <laughs> that's between why I don't go down there. Between Louisiana and Florida, okay, we have gators. And I will say this, okay. Because you only know about gators from what you've seen through documentaries and, and the media. Jay, you want me to tell you the story why I don't like gators? Please do. I'm sure the All audience right. would love to hear it. So, when I was younger, me, my sister, and... Oh, let me rephrase it. I have two sisters. My oldest sister would not get on this boat that her husband fixed up. It was a flat-bottom aluminum boat. Yeah. And he said, babe, I got all the holes patched up. It's fixed. We're good to go. Me and my other sister was a dumbass and said, yeah, okay, let's let's try it out with you. So we take out this boat on the Alabama River and we have this itty bitty thin little line, like thin, like, 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 like twine and shit, holding us into the front, like on the bank that we're tied off with. We have one paddle and a trolling motor on this boat. Now we're out fishing. I said, the boat's holding itself. It's got no water coming in. We're thinking, yeah, the boat's good. Well, the dam opened up, and they never let off any sirens or anything like that. Uh, I don't know if they just couldn't see us because it was pitch black and we had no lights on the boat. 
or what. But uh, so they opened up the dam, and we're like wondering why we keep dragging, dragging, dragging. About the time the twine breaks, the twine line breaks, and uh, we're sitting there, we're we're trying to like get the trolling motor going. We get it going, it is up a little bit, runs out of gas. So we get the paddle. And we're paddling, 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 paddling. And we're about 25 feet from the bank. And my sister sees a snake. And instead of bopping the snake on the head, she throws the whole paddle at the snake in the water. So now we're just like drifting down the Alabama River. And we've been drifting for, I think it was like two days. We drifted down the Alabama River after she lost the paddle. And, uh... We come on this little island in the middle of the Alabama River in front of the sawmill. And uh, supposedly this island is supposed to be like underwater, stuff like that, because the water levels was, was relatively low at the time. And uh, we think we can get the sawmill's attention by building a fire. Everything okay. was wet on this island. All the wood was wet. And there's a bunch of driftwood. And so we're like looking around, trying to find some dry wood. And by the time I come across these little eggshells that are already broken up, and so I was like, oh, yo, there's chickens out here. Some big chickens. <laughs> <laughs> My brother-in-law looked at me and said, those aren't chicken eggs. I said, what you mean? <laughs> and he says, turn around. I turn around, there's an alligator. And I didn't know they hissed. <laughs> and so the gator hisses at us and starts charging at us. So we jump back in the boat and push off. It, ever since, I don't like gators. You push no. back off in the water? Yeah. You're the first person I, I feel like should die from. I probably yeah, would. Why would you push back off into that territory? Because he was on the land. I, I'd yeah, say it's safer in the boat, probably. It wasn't that big of a land. It wasn't a crocodile. You're not going to run from a crocodile. I don't run from anything. Uh, this is not got teeth. So, <laughs> the first time we got uh, missiled in Afghanistan, I was like there for like three days. You were missiled in Afghanistan? Yeah, one of the many times. So, like, yeah, like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Different story. Um, Normal Tuesday. <laughs> so we're unloading our Connexes that we had shipped over there because we've only been there like three or four days. Okay. And someone starts shooting these like big-ass rockets at us, and it goes through... Uh, this little roadway into a conics across like a street from us. It doesn't explode, thankfully. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in response to under attack, you're supposed to run back to your position and blah, blah, blah. And I, I just distinctly remember I'm like sprinting from this conics to wherever I'm supposed to go. And in the middle of me just running my ass off, I realized, man, I've never run this fast in my entire life. <laughs> Like, <laughs> nothing like getting One of some danger, you know, oh, before you just... It's a bull! You are I'm gone. You're the Flash all of a sudden, yeah, well, yeah. you know, with that adrenaline rush. Yeah. <laughs> that I realize the Flash ain't real. a fake story. That's just real. <laughs> <laughs> Describing how people really get in the fear of danger, you know? I was going to say, that fight or fight is real. It's, I, it's super intense, dude. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've experienced some crazy stuff living in Florida. And, you know, one of the things I can say is when I was 15, I was going to uh, a friend of mine's house and he happened to live in a heavily populated area. And I would say that the reason why it was, 
high in crime is because it was heavily populated. And the race has nothing to do with this because I will say I've known just about all the races lived in this neighborhood. And we had stopped by the store. I was sneaking around. I was smoking at this time. And a friend of mine wanted or needed a lighter. I didn't have a lighter. I wasn't old enough to buy a lighter. He had just become old enough to buy a lighter, but he didn't want to. And he didn't have the money to buy it. I went in to use the bathroom, and as I came out, he had already borrowed a lighter from me. This gentleman or whatever who was nice enough to give him a lighter. And he gave the lighter back, and we started walking. These guys rode by. Of course, I smoke pot. You know, what most young teenagers don't rebel and smoke pot, you know, at this age. I'm 15, so of course, um, they holler, you know, y'all need some weed. Um, I shout back, yeah, it was up. And they pull over. Well, as I walk up to the car, I got ambushed. They jumped out and they, you know, started swinging and stuff. I took off running. You want to talk about never running as fast before in your life? I saw nothing but a shadow of someone who I swear to God looked like a big ass <laughs> fucking super bad gorilla. I was scared. I was 15. All I knew is I wasn't supposed Damn. to be out this late. I was told I shouldn't have been walking and all I knew That's, was my life was in danger so I took off running. That's but another universal law right there, man. Like, who wouldn't run shit after 10 p.m.? You know, you, it gets a little dangerous. It gets shit, a little wild. You know, yeah, you know yeah. like stay your ass at Absolutely, home. Absolutely, yeah. Stay your ass at home. You got that right. I'd yeah. rather stay at home and smoke with my motherfucking mama who didn't care and would have smoked with me then, you know, being out too late. And especially in the area, I was told, you know, I was forewarned about this. And I put myself in that predicament. What we so, all do, man, that, that's life. Like, yeah, absolutely. You, know, you learn from those experiments. All kinds experiments. of crazy shit. Out experiments. I'm not and then we go out there and find out <laughs> if it's real or not. That is true. You know, like, it doesn't matter but what people it doesn't, tell us. We're going to find out. I don't say this should deter anybody mm. from trying to experience things in their life. You know, so like, when... When you want to do something, go out and do it. Don't let something stop you or deter you just because, you know, you of fear, you know, face that, you well, know, try to experience yeah. that. So I, I, you know, go around all over the world, blah, blah, blah. Been to a lot of, uh, you know, museums, other monuments, things like that up high. And I realized, you know, pretty early on, I kind of had a fear of heights. Right. And so when I was. What are some of the most uh, fearful moments you've had? So just you fear just like standing on life. the edge of a building, you know what I mean? And yeah. there's like nothing there. What is the highest between. place you have ever been in your life? Because uh, so you, your fear... You jumping fear out of an airplane was 14,000 feet. That's pretty high. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I could So do I realized, you know, I had this fear. <laughs> That's pretty and high. I can't, you know, you can't let fear stop you from accomplishing goals, right? So uh, even before the military, I, I was like 18, 19... And you were almost I, three miles in the air and you jumped out of a I'm yeah, tripping. So I, I'm I doing paid the math right now. Five thousand couple hundred dollars. That's tri I'm tripping. You know, that's like two thousand four, I think. And uh I I spent like eight hours in school uh -huh. for skydiving. Yeah. And then jumped out of the plane with two instructors and they're just holding on to me with their hands. Like if they let go, I'm I'm free. You, know, oh, you have no backpack, no nothing. <clears throat> no, no, I had my, okay. my parachute. Oh, so, I've always yeah. I've always talked shit and said I would jump no, off so a plane. When you no skydive, you get two chances. Uh, you have your your main chute, and you have an FAA packed emergency chute. Okay. Uh, in case the this, other chute doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, because okay, shit I happens, dude. That. So like, yeah. I say, uh, uh, parachutes are packed by hand. As long as you, yeah, yeah. that's why I said, as long as you got a second, a lot of stuff can happen to a parachute. which I'm sure the second one won't. At least I hope it don't. 
So I jumped out of this airplane. I was like 19 years old and 19? free fell. And, uh, and it was like the best 50 seconds, you know, of my life. You know, it just, it doesn't feel like you're falling. You're just floating in yeah. the air and you're seeing the landscape and the clouds and everything around you is like in slow-mo and you're falling. It's just incredible experience. So when I enlisted in the military, I was like, yo, I want airborne school on my contract. You know, like I'm not even signing this paperwork unless you're sending me to airborne school. And uh, they put it on the on the contract and all that, and it was good to go. And I signed, and I joined the military, and went to airborne school. And airborne school is fucking miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking awful. Yeah, it's I the worst it. way to jump out of an airplane <laughs> well, imaginable. I got. I tried. Well, I'm not gonna lie, and I am gonna say this live because I'm not embarrassed by it, but because I'm sure a lot of people do uh, feel for the same thing. I tried to go for enlistment in um, Jacksonville. Well, I was in Marion County, and uh, my recruiter, she was a wonderful woman. She had served um, quite a bit, and she had been to a lot of places. And she showed me up and taught me a lot of different things. And um, she also got me to Jacksonville, even though I had missed the bus, which was all my fault. Um, but uh, when I got there, I failed for marijuana. But Long story short, <laughs> yes, I told him I was going to fail, but um, I, it wasn't. You're honest. It wasn't. It wasn't in Florida at the time. It wasn't for a medicinal purpose, so I failed for an obvious reason. That during that time was obviously illegal federally, but you said um, let's smoke. <laughs> <laughs> do not smoke if you want to go into the military. Smoke and find out. No. Yeah, get all the smoke. But don't, long story don't short, get tattoos either. Yes, um, join the air force. Long story short, <laughs> I, they are the highest paid. Um, but long story short, I was going into the, uh, the army. I was trying to go for a seabird, which for people who don't know, that is a chemical, biological, radiological, and a nuclear specialist. And for a lot of people who get into chemical or um, warfare, uh, nuclear warfare, or you know, in areas where bombs have gone off or situations where um, they may have um, been in the area that we don't know about. Uh, these specialists will go in and they will clean and make sure that the areas are, are these vehicles are protected and safe for our soldiers. Um, or also to disarm mines, bombs, things like that. They're, That's EOD. They're, they train in Seabrook as well. But, yeah. And I heard a, uh, I heard a story from a ranger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, man. I just like, oh man, it's kind of like this thing where everyone knows a ranger or special forces guy or something and they hear some crazy ass story and, and a lot of it's true. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, like no, in the military, we experienced some wild shit that you know, tests you to your physical and mental limits and like just wild stuff, you know, and like what the human mind and body can adapt to, to in, yeah. in a scenario is fucking wild too. And we don't know this in America because um, we just, we have normal, simple lives as normal U.S. citizens, you know? So like the stuff you experience, obviously, I've never experienced, but you, from the stories you're telling, I can perceive that it's, <laughs> it, it, it's really hard to describe like uh 
when you're in a combat environment or deployed, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're pushed to the limit all the time, you know, constantly. And, uh, you know, now I can joke about it and laugh and blah, blah, blah. And it's a good time, you know? Uh, but in the moment, like it was terrifying, you know, and I was, I know my buddies were scared too. And like shit's going down all the, all the time. Like it was hot, hot, hot. Uh, besides being 120 fucking degrees Fahrenheit. Sounds like, <laughs> you know, like, degrees. <laughs> uh, like there's just stuff going on constantly there, you know? Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a thing like you, you adapt and overcome, you know, and whether you're a military member or just some dude who's starting out on his own Etsy business or something like everything you haven't done is terrifying. And, after you've accomplished that and you can go back and say, I did that and like, it's not so scary anymore and I can do it, you know, again and again and again. Like the first time I made meat was scary, you know, cause I'm investing a couple hundred dollars, even though it's a test batch, it costs real fucking money to buy yeah. all the ingredients. Yeah, and like, if I fuck this up, I just made five gallons of trash, yeah, you know, absolutely. that I can't drink. I can't sell to anyone. I can't even give this away, you know? So like everything's scary the first time you do it. And then a few more times you start building up your confidence, experience, experience is where it's at. Like, uh, you can learn anything you want out of a book. Right. And I love reading. I think reading is essential for life, uh, especially, uh, reading like, uh, empowerment books, educational books. You know, I love reading sci-fi too, but you got to mix in, every now and again a book that's going to motivate you that's inspire you uh that's going to like do something for you like i just read the whole uh gary v series books mm -hmm. crush it you're crushing it um Shout out to gary. there's another amazing author uh jen sincero she wrote you're a badass and you're a badass at making money uh the second book I went to a conference with my wife and then we came back and I, I read that book and there's a part in the book uh, that said, you know, like say this phrase out loud and you'll get more money, you know, or whatever. Like and I just, I felt like it was stupid, you know, like I'm at home alone and reading this well, book and but it's, but it's I almost, said it, it's right? Almost like and my spiritual. phone went off immediately and a dude wanted to double his order. Well, think about it. You know, it's it's, it's almost as it's, if you're speaking into existence. It is. It so is. now like, I'm hardcore into manifesting Absolutely. and uh, speaking my accomplishments before they even happen because that's where I'm at right now mentally. And on the topic of your business, you have to understand like that's part of speaking into existence. Like, look where you you've gotten since you've you've started. You know, you've you've made a career or something. You know, you're a business owner. You know, and you know. You're doing things that a lot of people wish they could and you know with your experience and also the things the shout outs and uh the some of the knowledge that you've shared with us um hopefully some of the people can take from that and start their own you know like this is some things that people should really hear about yeah like when i was a teenager i wish someone would take me uh to the side and taught me all about like finances how to start a business like uh so I started working when I was 11, mowing church lawns 
and making money that way. And when I turned 15 and could work out in the world legally, I started working at an arcade and then I worked at Blockbuster and just kept going on and up to the point where, you know, like 20 and I'm assistant martial arts instructor. And then I joined the military at 21. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just constantly jumping from one job to the other, from one place to the other. Like I've lived in, I grew up in Southern Pennsylvania, but I've also lived in Maryland, North Carolina, Georgia, Colorado, California, Dominican Republic. Out of all the places you've lived, um, what would be, I guess, from your perspective, you know, because you've traveled a lot of places, including out of the United States, from your perspective and also from where you live now, where do you think, you know, a lot of people should also travel, you know, maybe even if it's to see, you know, like what is, from Um, your perspective, where do you... So it's kind of a mixed bag, right? So if you Mm -hmm. travel, I think Europe's a great experience. They have a rich culture. They have buildings that are thousands of years old, you know, museums that are phenomenal, great nightlife, fantastic food and drink. Have you ever Uh, been to, have you ever been to any places in Egypt? No, that's on my list. Uh, So when you travel third world, you need to understand there's certain rules Mm -hmm. and that you're going to have to pay a lot of bribes to police, uh, which is a totally normal thing over there. So have a good and, wallet <laughs> Well, you travel. It, it, it really depends on the country, but, you know, uh, some friends of ours just went to India for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and wow. they got taxed six different times by local police on their way, you know, all around the, the country doing their thing, yeah. and, you know. Um, and so... That's a totally normal thing. When I was in the Dominican Republic as a child, uh, I would remember, you know, my mother and me in the, in the truck with the pastor, and they'd be driving down the road, and there'd be a wad of money stuck in the air vent, you know? And I just thought that was weird. You know, like, what's, why do you stick money in the air vent? Mm. You know, it's, it's fucking weird, right? Absolutely. And then we got pulled over, and he pulled that money out of the air vent, stuck in his hand, shook the cop's hand. You know, the cop the looked in, gone. said, "Had a nice day." Yeah. And we kept on driving down the road, and that's kind of how it is in Latin America and a lot of other countries around the world. Mm. Like, uh, police, you know, people are going to tax you. So these are things that people don't experience on a regular basis. No, in America, it's you would flip your shit if a cop pulled you over and asked you for twenty dollars i mean you know what i mean like you some would of us call in the middle class and up would probably be the ucla or some shit yeah you would have a lawyer you would have a youtube channel just about this one cop that asked you for a bribe yeah TikTok. You know what I mean? yeah. and you would be like famous you'd be on cnn and fox news and all the other shit within Absolutely. a week you know if, if you had gotten that on video or a cop asked you for a bribe but in a third world country, that is totally normal. So no. when you travel overseas, you just need to be ready and do your research and like understand that you're going into a completely different mindset and culture and you got to kind of play by their rules and be a little fluid. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I got a, uh, a trip coming up in July to Egypt. Uh, I'll be over there for a week. And I know from the research that I've done, they have a big, uh, big culture thing for tipping. And so anything that you do, whether you're shopping 
asking for help, anything like that, you tip, and then whenever you shop, you have to bargain for prices. They love that stuff. I wouldn't understand why bargaining for prices, <clears throat> like, uh, what is it, haggling for prices? or Yeah, it, it's kind of a... Uh, it's a cultural thing, first off. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, um, you know, it's a little fun. You know, like, hey, I say this, you say that. We kind of try and meet in the middle maybe somewhere. And, you know, it's a good time. Uh, but if you just go around and pay sticker price mm -hmm. in, in certain cultures, it can be insulting. Yeah. Um, so, like, like I said, I've, just do I've the research, dude. It's like pawn shopping all over again. I, I had a, a lot of fun at the bazaar in Afghanistan. And oh, really? We so bought, like, you know, wolf skin blankets and all kinds of crazy shit over there. Little teeny tiny rubies and and you just haggle for all of it. And oh, uh, um, they oh, they like it. You know what I mean? Like you can uh, he'll start off at three hundred dollars for a blanket. You know, and you're like, no, I'm gonna leave. <laughs> so Even though it's like the fine fur, you know, and in America that thing's probably seven hundred dollars. You know, so and, haggling is a is, is an actual thing. Over yeah, there. it's a skill. That's it's a, it's a it's a marketable skill. Like where you you kind of talk them down, and by the end of it, you know, you're walking away with a fifty dollar wolf skin that's seven hundred dollars in America. You know, and and he doesn't know that. You know, but you do, and you're like, God damn, I just won right now. Like I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would also like to add um, that we will be traveling. Um, eventually, uh, this podcast will take us in many places, as you probably previously heard. John will be traveling to places like uh, Mexico and also um, towards the Middle East. Um, he does have plans to go into places like Egypt and uh, other places like also, that. Also, uh, actively planning a uh, trip to Costa Rica as well. And we will also probably eventually be going to Jamaica and uh, the Netherlands. So uh, if you have any comments or places that you feel like uh, you would really like to hear about, uh, we will be interviewing places and people and distant and foreign uh, cultures. So leave your comments and other things that you would like to hear about. We would love to hear and also review these topics. Well, now that's out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anything, anything really, I don't know how to phrase this, uh, what's happening around you right now? Um, well, right now it, it's just, goodness, uh, we're, we just bought a building and we're moving into it, uh, not only business-wise, but residentially, and so... As a small business owner, it's really advantageous to live on top of or right next to your business because there's so many things on your mind and so many little things that happen all the time. Um, it's either you're you're working from home or you're at your business full time. You know what I mean? So uh, if you live above your business and someone texts you and, oh, my God, I forgot about this meeting I have and... 10 minutes you can just you know throw your clothes on real quick and run downstairs and knock it out uh or like you forgot something at work so oh i'll just run down the stairs and grab it and come back up to where i live you know it's not we were originally commuting 40 minutes to work uh oh, from geez. our original town to lenore north carolina 
And so 40 minutes every day going to work and then coming back, uh, it's like, you know, an hour and a half of your time. And as a small business owner, an hour and a half of your time spent just driving is a gigantic waste. Like it's, it's a huge amount of time that you could do a lot of work in, a lot of networking in. You could do all kinds of things for your business, sending texts out to um, businesses that you do business with. Like I'll send texts out to bottle shops and stuff that we do business with and be like, hey, how's your stock? How are you doing? You know, like, can we do anything for you? Um, is everything okay? Uh, because we create a natural product, there's no preservatives in it. We do have to check on it and make sure that they're not like getting crazy in the bottle and blowing corks and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, check in with your people. Uh, that hour and a half that you're driving, you're more commuting. My dad used to commute an hour and a half each way when we lived in Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. to work as an uh, airline pilot. You know, that, so that's three hours a day just driving mm. uh, you know and, and if you think about these little things uh, you know driving's a complete waste of time you know you need to be doing other things for your business unless you're like driving to deliver something to another person and collect a paycheck you know what are you doing right now um, and, and that could be anything, you know, whether you craft things like Nightingale Curiosity, she makes amazing bone jewelry out of stuff that they find out in the woods. Uh, so, you know, she's spending all her time crafting bone jewelry and getting ready for festivals and stuff. And she works right out of home, just like I do. And there's a bunch of other people around town that do the same thing. They live really close to work. So they can devote, it's not all about work, right? Like work's not the, the goal. The right. goal is to provide myself with, a, at first, a job. You know, that's what you first provide yourself when you become a small business owner is you provide yourself with your own job. Uh, and then you slowly start to graduate out of that and allow employees to fill the void that you're leaving behind and they start to take over the work. And then you start to collect on your time spent and your investment and your reward. So, so it's a process. Yeah, it's all a process. We've been doing this two years, but I expect to do this for much longer. And that's fine. You know what I mean? Uh, like I said, I'm only 38 years old, but I've learned a few things. And one of them is effort equals reward and uh, patience, which is a, not my virtue. <laughs> Uh, I will just go ahead and say that, like, especially behind the wheel and people want to be slow. They want to <laughs> not make hard choices. Like, you know where you're going. Make a choice, motherfucker. <laughs> you know what lane you need to be in. Uh, oh, like, man, I, I can't stand it. Like, I know what I'm doing with my life and what I'm doing. And I'm like sprinting, you know, like when you're a kid and you're running downhill and you know, if you stop, you're going to fall. Right, like we're just sprinting downhill so fast right now. Mm. Well, mm. I don't know if my fat ass could sprint. <laughs> <laughs> well, metaphorically, uh, besides going to the gym, uh, after the after the military, my knees are are pretty done, so I don't run anywhere anymore, <laughs> literally. Uh, but. 
metaphorically, mentally, we are at a full run. <laughs> well, already. Let's see. Do you have anything uh, you want to say to any of the listeners? Um, just believe in yourself and charge what it costs. Don't lowball yourself. Uh, that's, that's probably the first mistake all small business owners make is who am I to say this costs this much, right? And even if it, that's the going market rate, we feel as crafters a certain way about our product. And uh, we need to overcome that self-doubt and just say, hey, this is the price for my product or service, and it is what it is. Like, you either want it or you don't. And that kind of confidence is going to secure the clients and customers that you want and repel the ones that you don't. Uh, because the people that are going to try to nickel and dime you and haggle you and whatever, that's not part of our culture. you got to get the fuck out of here, man. If I say this costs this much, then that's the price. And people starting a small business need to like have that confidence there and like the price is the price you know like don't justify it the customer is going to pay it or they're not well jay you have any closing comments no no i do not you don't surprise me <laughs> well, it was good talking to you guys, man. It's been thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's been wonderful talking to you. Um, I would like to give a shout out to Moonjoy Meadery and all the wonderful achievements that they have overcome. Uh, if you would like to, please look us, us up on Facebook. Also, Moonjoy Meadery has a Facebook as well. Do you not? Yes, sir. Um, you can look them up. They do order. Uh, do orders. In certain states, they do um, mail out. Yeah, you can go and find them on so Facebook. We're shipping to 38 states, 39 including North Carolina. Uh, you can get us just about anywhere except for like really conservative states like Connecticut or Utah and a couple others. Um, but yeah, we're we're down to ship what we got. It's all natural. It's made with local product, local honey, local spring water. Uh, Sounds no good to sulfide, me. It's gluten free. Absolutely. It'll treat you a lot gentler the next morning. Now, I'm also going to make notice <laughs> that my grandfather is a diabetic. A diabetic. <clears throat> Excuse my language. Um, he um, he has tried several bottles, and he thinks they're wonderful. Um, he's able to drink them. So we have some people, low sugar options. Our dry traditional mead is see, that's fermented good. out. Pretty much all the way to zero sugar wise um honey is also as a natural sugar that's been around a super long time is, mm -hmm. is very familiar with the human body and uh, there's a lot of studies done about diabetes and honey um, so uh, but as always i urge people to you know follow their doctor's directions and do their own research before they do anything uh, even though we do create a natural product you know, it is alcohol. It does have a lot of calories in it from the honey um, and the fruit juices and all the other stuff that I use. So, you know, do your own research. Make your own decisions. And I think most of all, enjoy and drink responsibly. Don't get behind the wheel intoxicated. Call a cab, Uber, or a friend.
Yeah, absolutely. And also remember, it's only life. It's only life, guys. Take it as serious as you want or enjoy it as you can. Thank you for listening and check back next week for a new episode. Y'all have fun. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. No problem, man. Me. Have you ever heard me? <laughs> it's that time of year. It's any time of year. If you don't know what it is, time to get your biking on. All right, get you a horn. If you ain't got a horn, hell, find one. Rip it off that motherfucker's head. You got your horn now. You know. You want any shrooms and berserk out? Berserk out. Let's go back to the mead from our local meadery down in Lenore. Drink you some Lithra. Drink you some Thunder God. Drink you some of that dark horse, if you know what I mean. <laughs> guys, what he's trying to tell you is we've got our first sponsor, guys. Moonjoy Meadery. Oh, my God. God. I cannot tell you guys how much I love this place personally. I've been there dozens upon dozens of times everybody i take there they always find something they love and do you know why it's because moon joy cycles through 50 plus different mead recipes while you'll often find some of the best sellers in the coolers such as the award-winning bjorn bear a 100 locally sourced blackberry mead or award-winning dark horse a spiced date and prune mead it's rare that you'll ex not experience something new every trip to the tasting room guys like my compadre over here is saying man they they have different meads man this it's amazing if you can't get your viking on going to this place you're just not going to be able to get it on anywhere so i mean give them a shout out guys give them give them a give them a taste give them a taste you can follow moonjoy meadery on facebook instagram and tiktok at moonjoy meadery or you can go to their location at 110 Church Street Northwest, Lenore, North Carolina, 28645. And if you're not in the state, guys, well, too bad. Psych, they actually offer shipping to 38 different states, 39 including North Carolina. If you want to find out more about that, head over to their website, moonjoymeadery.com. Thank you for the listen, guys. Check out our sponsor. They're amazing people. I love them to death. Get your Viking on, get a horn, Moonjoy Meadery. If you get a bottle, take a picture, tag them online. We want to see this. Yeah, tag them. Mm -hmm.